Hello, I'm Martin Upton from Reopen University. I'm here with my colleagues, John Corlow and Alan Shipman. And we're talking about pensions and developments in the pensions industry in the UK. Junkwill, I've seen a lot of attention in the last few months turned to what's going to happen to public sector pensions. Uh, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on this. Well, what we've seen in the private sector is the defined benefit schemes, the kind of pension scheme that promises you a certain level of pension, um, the final salary schemes, for example. We've seen those go into decline so that only about a quarter of those schemes are now open to new members, whereas 10 years ago it was 90% of schemes. So a very rapid decline. That's opening up a big divide when compared with the public sector. So there's this whole issue of equity, what's fair. Is it right that people who work in the public sector should retain these very generous pensions while other workers are having to take more risk that they'll end up with an inadequate income in their old age? I certainly heard uh, John Cridland of the CBI talking the other day about the spiralling cost of the government of provision of public sector pensions. He was talking about the cost uh, rising by an extra £10 in each financial year. I just wonder what measures can actually be undertaken to reduce that cost? Well, I think partly one has to look at how the cost is being measured. One of the problems for defined benefit schemes, and this is something that the National Association of Pension Funds has picked up on, is that the way companies have to account for pensions is really at odds with the long-term nature of pension funds. So essentially, they're accounting on a very short-term basis, which means that pension deficits can appear and they then hit the profit and loss account and the balance sheet of companies, making a crisis, if you like, whereas pension schemes are designed to run over the long term. So I think you have to be a little bit careful about how you're measuring cost, but undoubtedly defined benefit schemes are becoming more expensive and more uncertain for firms. The expense is coming partly from people living longer. So unless people are willing to work a lot longer in order to keep the period in retirement roughly the same, then these schemes are just becoming unaffordable. Turning to Alan, uh, OK, the option of working longer is one way of dealing with the need for additional finances when you're beyond the normal retirement age. But there are economic constraints upon the ability of the economy to deliver those jobs, surely? There are, but the difficulty for many people approaching retirement now is that a combination of low returns on the money they have put into their investment funds and the low returns on the annuity that they will convert those funds into mean that there may just not be enough for them to retire on. So they will have to solve the problem by continuing to work, if they can find work, uh, well into what would normally have been their retirement age. Unless, of course, the state is willing to supplement people's private pensions. But the state certainly doesn't want to do that when it already has an unfunded gap in its own public pension provision. So what could be some of the perhaps unexpected consequences of the situation? Will you see people almost as a matter of routine being forced sellers of property as they retire to, to produce a, a pension pot? And what will that do to property prices? It's certainly the case that a lot of people approaching retirement have little or no pension saving, but they do have a house which they bought on a mortgage. And that is really the fund that they can tap into if they have a form of equity release. It might involve selling the house and renting or trading down. It might involve reversing the mortgage process through an equity release scheme where it gradually goes back into the possession of the bank 
and the bank provides the equity released for the pensioner to live on. We're in uncharted territory here because houses were never designed as a retirement provision, but certainly it's something that will have to be explored given that that's where people's assets quite often are. That approach does worry me a lot, though, because very often the kind of housing that an older person needs, perhaps sheltered housing, is not necessarily cheaper than the family house that they own. And, of course, we mustn't forget that not everybody owns a house anyway. 20% or so are renting, so they don't have that facility to fall back on. And the other aspect is, of course, the government is um, suggesting that the solution to long-term care may well be loans secured against housing. So how many policy targets can housing meet? Sounds like too many here to me. (laughs) We've seen in, in recent months a number of industrial disputes, most recently the AA, where employers have been looking to change pension schemes and the employees have said, no, that's not fair. How easy is it for an employer to change an existing pension contract? It's generally not that easy, but it depends quite what you mean. The normal employment contract will say that the employee has the right to belong to a pension scheme. It's very rare that it specifies what sort of pension scheme that is. And so going forward, usually the employer can change the scheme. What employers generally can't do is take away the right to benefits that has already built up. So there is some cost and uncertainty built in for employers, you know, even if they change the system today. Okay, so things aren't really guaranteed completely in terms of what you're going to get, even with a a stated company pension scheme. Um, Certainly not looking forward. Yeah, exactly. You you may have thought that you'd build up a pension over 40 years, and actually what you find is you've built up a pension over 20 years, and then for the next 20 years, you're in a different type of scheme that's offering you something less. Okay, let's look at the worst possible outcome. Can, Can companies actually walk away from their company pension schemes altogether? Is there covenant risk here? There is if the employer goes out of business. If the employer stays in business, then there is an onus on the employer to fund any gap that's in the pension scheme. But remember that pension scheme gaps only occur with these defined benefit schemes that are promising a level of benefits. If an employer can switch employees to what's called defined contribution, which is more like a savings pot that builds up and is just used to buy a pension um, when retirement comes, with that sort of scheme, there is, by definition, no funding gap. You just get whatever pension your pot will buy. So there is risk there, then, if the company goes bust. I mean, the company pension scheme could go bust with it. Um, It could. There is now a pension protection fund, which didn't exist in the past, but that does step in and it would replace pensions up to a certain level, not fully for a higher earner. In the States, there's been such a scheme for quite a while and there are now concerns about the cost of that protection scheme and whether it's really viable in the long run. If you had a lot of companies going out of business at the same time with gaps in their pension scheme, would there be enough schemes left to finance the the cost of the compensation, which is uh, financed through a levy on all defined benefit schemes? Okay. Turning to the the demographics of the population, uh, we well know that the baby boom generation is heading towards retirement age. Mm. Now, is this really a big part of the problem? It's uh, Yes, it's a huge part of the problem because what we're talking about here is a change in what's called the support ratio. So the pensions of the people who are retired are essentially funded by the people in work. 
And as the baby boom goes through, that support ratio is falling. So the baby boomers are getting the blame for lots of things currently, I see. And this is another one. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. I think it's, a, it's a, probably a bit unfair to call them the selfish generation. I don't think they ever set out to, to, to rob their children. No, you, you, you can't be responsible for the age you're born into, basically. So. No. But there is the problem for the people in work currently that they are the double-paying generation. They pay taxes to fund the pensions of those already retired, but they are having to pay into their own pension schemes as well. And from 2012, the government will actually be trying to persuade more people to save through the personal accounts initiative, uh, an actual opt-out scheme, which people will be enrolled into unless they decide otherwise. So there is the problem what justice is there in today's younger generation having to pay for their own pensions on a um, defined contributions basis and also pay for the previous generation's pensions? And looking at what <coughs> happens when a generation retires, though, you have a certain national income that the, the country is producing and that is carved up between people um, in work, people out of work, if the size of the cake were the same, whether you provided pensions through um, a state system or whether people saved up with their own funds, if, if the size of the cake was the same, the mechanism for giving a share to the pensioners might be different, but they wouldn't necessarily get a different share of the cake. I can see that. And I can also see how if the economy is growing well and presenting growth opportunities which generate high returns on investment, then we might get through this problem just through pension funds performing better and generating more income. Is there a danger, though, that in going for higher returns on their investment, pension funds are going to start taking more risks, which could work out very well or could be a disaster for those lifelong earnings that people have put aside? Well, I think with defined benefit schemes, certainly the way the accounting rules work at the moment, they can't really afford to take more risk. The accounting rules are, are almost forcing them to go down um, a lower risk route, investing more money in bonds rather than equities. With defined contribution schemes, of course, the risk is borne by the scheme member, by the individual, not by the company. And I certainly, personally, I have I have grave doubts about people having to fund their core retirement income through defined contribution schemes. It seems to me that it's quite an inequitable system where some people will do well because when they retire, the stock market is buoyant and they get a big fund. Other people will do less well. And it, to me, it's a sort of rationing by risk. It seems to me that there are two issues that are being conflated here. One is, can society afford a certain level of pension? That's one question. And how do we provide that level of pension is another. And at the moment, they seem to have been rolled into one so that defined contribution schemes, I think, may well deliver lower pensions on average, but it just won't be obvious that that's what's happening until people start to complain, well, my neighbour retired on a good pension, I saved just as much, but I've got a bad pension. Yeah. It's very difficult to pick out any good news stories about pensions currently, and we've explored many of the issues behind that. I just wonder if going forward you're even going to have a situation where the basic state pension ends up being means-tested. Uh, as a reflection of the financial difficulties the government will have in meeting its pension obligations. 
Certainly at the moment, we're talking about how the government needs to reduce its deficit and pay down its debt. And there is what people argue is a structural deficit, where even if the economy recovers and gets back to its normal level of production, there'll be a gap between what the government spends and what it raises in taxation. That structural deficit calculation does look far worse if we factor in the unfunded state pension obligations and also the state's costs of uh, age-related health care. So it does begin to look as if uh, the government may have a, a chronic gap between what it takes in revenue-wise and what it needs to spend. And then we're looking either at reducing government spending or raising taxation to cover that gap, both of which are very, very painful options. I think, though, that means testing is not necessarily a solution because means testing has a disincentive effect on people's own personal saving for retirement because they have to save enough to get past the means-tested pension before they start to clock up any extra for themselves. So for many people, means-testing might just mean, why should I save? I'll only displace my means-tested pension. Yes, it's the old poverty trap, isn't it? The problem with means testing is that at a certain point, if people raise their incomes, they lose a lot of benefits and they're left worse off. And as you say, if they raise their savings and that deprives them of certain benefit entitlements, again, they're worse off and they won't do the saving. So governments generally have tried to move welfare benefits away from means testing and they wouldn't want to be forced back towards it. The government's certainly been encouraging savings as a way of dealing with the issues of pensions and the potential inadequacy of pensions as people reach uh, later years of their life. But I've seen from recent data that the savings ratio in this country is back down to a record low again. And it seems clear that the government's message is not getting through. Well, the government has two messages. In the short run, it actually wants people to save less and spend more because that helps get us out of recession. And in the longer run, it recognises the need for more saving, um, both because that will help people fund their retirements and because it funds the investment that generates the growth that will create the resources for those retirements. So it's very much a case of governments wanting it one way in the short run, another way, the opposite way, in the longer run. And that is the logic of an economy that goes through cycles and at the moment needs more expenditure in order to combat recession. Any last thoughts? Um, (laughs) We used to think that if we privatised the pension problem, moving people out of the state scheme into occupational schemes or their own personal pension plans, that this would in some way get us around the difficulty presented by demography and rising pension costs. I think what we've seen is that the public sector pension arrangement has problems and private sector arrangements have problems. Uh, We can't get round it. There is a general difficulty redistributing income from those in work to those in retirement. And whether it's public or private, that does create a lot of conflicts. I think we should remember, though, that um, there have been great strides over the last um, few decades in reducing pensioner poverty. And a lot of those improvements have come from greater participation in occupational pension schemes. So it would be a great shame to see that lost. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.